Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first greatest commandment. And the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two, these two commandments. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Hannah. Appreciate it. All right. Well, good morning, guys. It's, uh, thank you. Somebody said good morning. Is that you, Zach? Thank you. It's good to see you guys. Um, every week I stand up here and I thank the Lord for the beautiful weather that enables us to meet. Today we're thanking the Lord for like passable weather in tarps, right? Enabling us to meet. So uh, really glad that everybody's here today. Thank you. Um, so uh, you may have heard this week is election week in our country. Um, as you can imagine, this is, uh, it's going to be quite a week, I, am, I, I hope. And we're going to pray for this later, that it is a peaceful week. Um, yeah, but, uh, and I'll be honest with you, this is, um, these are like the type of sermons around election season that I think are some of the most difficult to preach. Uh, I have been overseas for the last two presidential elections, and I had moments in preparing for this week where I kind of wish we still were overseas, and we should have waited until after this point to plan a church. Um, and honestly, there's so much... There really is so much that could be said. Um, but this morning, I, I really want to speak about the church. Um, not so much about America, but the church in America, perhaps. Um, and just to be clear, this is not, I, I don't take this as a time to like spout off on my own political opinions. Although I like my political opinions, that's why I hold them. But they're not necessarily uh, right or wrong, right? And so this is not, this, yeah, this isn't the goal. As I said, my goal today is primarily to speak about the church. Um, and that is to remind us and to call us back to our primary calling, right? And that is to love. So we just had Hannah read out of Matthew 22. And this story is told multiple times in the Gospels where somebody comes to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? Um, and Jesus replies, uh, the f number one, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, so this week and next week, we're going to take a look at these two great commandments. Next week, we'll focus on loving your neighbor. Um, but today, we're going to focus on the first. What does it mean to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, depending on which verse you're looking at? But... I would like to do this from a, a slightly different perspective than maybe what we're accustomed to. Um, we normally, I feel like in the church, we speak about love in very personal terms with like a high emphasis, a high focus on affection towards God, which is good. It is biblical. It is true. But that does not cover everything the Bible says about loving God. And specifically, what I would like to do is take a look at this. What does it mean to love God with our entire being? And it's kind of its more original Old Testament context, right? Because Jesus is actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, and uh, I think that the way the Old Testament develops this 
actually speaks to the church today in, in a way that um, hopefully will, will be beneficial. Um, so let, let's start with this. What does the word love mean? Right? When God spoke to, through Moses to Israel originally back in Deuteronomy and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Uh, what does this mean? Now this theme gets developed in Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the Old Testament um, in kind of two, two ways, right? That is, God is, to love God means to give him exclusive worship and exclusive trust, right? Exclusive worship or devotion, perhaps, because sometimes when we hear the word worship, we think singing. It's, not, it's more than that. It's like a whole life devotion towards God that encompasses everything about us. Uh, so exclusive worship and exclusive trust. Exclusive worship or devotion in the sense of, uh, like the clearest example would be no idolatry, right? Do not worship any idols. That was what it means to exclusively worship God. Um, exclusive trust in the Old Testament, especially for, for Israel. Um, that is, it is, is a call to trust God alone, not to trust their own power, their own abilities, or to trust the nations around them, right? And so this happens time and time again. If you read through the Old Testament, where the people of Israel are in trouble, right? You know, um, Assyria, for example, a big nation is knocking on their door. And so instead of calling out to God, what does Israel do? They go find another nation who's big and powerful and tries to team up with them. They're not exclusively trusting God. Right? And this led them to align themselves with those other nations, which oftentimes meant they were aligning themselves with something that was shameful and not honoring God. Right? So there is an exclusivity in our devotion, our worship, our trust. And it's one reason why I think the term adultery comes into play a lot in the Old Testament when God is speaking to the, his people. And he says, you have committed adultery. It's because it's essentially there's a marriage between God and his people. And that marriage covenant is exclusive. Okay? So the people of God, they commit adultery by worshiping idols. But they also commit adultery by, by trusting in and aligning themselves with other nations, with other powers. And those two things often come together. Right? When you look to another nation, this is, I'm talking Old Testament here, although I think you can see where I'm going. When you look to another nation for help instead of God, you start to think like them, you start to act like them, and you align them yourself with their worldview instead of what God has called you to do. So what does it look like to, to fail to love, right? And again, we're, we're very Old Testamenty today, although honestly, and some of you guys have heard, like this is the... Um, the kid-friendly version of the message I really want to preach, uh, but we're going to get into passages that you don't read to your children at night, and so we won't do that. But how, uh, how, do, how do we fail to love? Again, Old Testament style here. Uh, the most obvious is idolatry. Now, here's a biblical principle about worship that I think is really helpful. It really helps shape the way I read uh, the Bible, um, is that you become what you worship. You become what you worship. Now, that doesn't mean if you worship God, you become God. But it doesn't mean you become like God. Whereas if you worship, say, idols, you become like the idols. Okay? Now, so positively stated, if you worship God alone, 
you will find yourself looking more like him, acting more like him, thinking more like God. If you worship idols, those who engage in idolatry begin to resemble their idols. In fact, Psalm 115 and a couple other places even say this outright, right? Idols. You think about the literal physical idol for a second. Uh, a, a you know thing of wood that somebody carved into an idol. It has eyes, right? But can it see? No, right? It has a mouth. Can it speak? No. It has ears. Can it hear? No. And Psalm 115 says, and those who make idols and those who trust in idols will become like them. They will have mouths but can't speak. They will have eyes but can't see. They will have ears but can't hear. This is a biblical principle of worship. You become what you worship. What you devote yourself to, who you devote yourself to, is what you will become like. Does that make sense? So, uh, so that's one way, right, that they fail to love God exclusively is by, is by giving their devotion and worship to something other than him. Uh, and as I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, looking towards those powers whether it's political, national, cultural, social, right? Looking to, towards someone other than God for our safety, for our power, for our control, right? When Israel ran into trouble, they would clamor to other nations for help instead of calling out to the Lord. They would, it, it's like this temptation that, we, that people consistently fall into, this temptation to just ride the coattails of someone else's power for our safety, instead of trusting in the Lord. So this quest for power, or probably more accurately, it's the proximity to power, aligning yourself with someone who is in power. Again, it doesn't have to just be political. It can be cultural or social. Rather than trusting in the Lord, it is adultery, right? In an Old Testament sense of the word. It is, it is breaking the exclusive love that we have towards God. So, as I mentioned, this, um, this commandment, the greatest commandment, as Jesus calls it, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, occurs in Deuteronomy 6. And if you keep reading in Deuteronomy, God warns them, right? He warns them not to worship the gods of the other nations around them. He tells them, he tells Israel, you're going to move into the land I've given you. You're going to settle down. You're going to build homes. You're going to have farms. You're going to become prosperous. And you're going to forget me. You're going to look to the other nations, you're going to worship their idols, and you will forget me. He just tells them outright. And sure enough, it's exactly what happens. It is a human temptation, right? It is a temptation to look for something else other than God. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there for us to think about here, that the church, I believe, has been guilty of these two things about not giving our exclusive worship or devotion is probably maybe uh, maybe clearer uh, or our exclusive trust to God. Um, idolatry, and I'm sure you've heard this before, if you've heard enough sermons on idolatry, is not, is not always about physical idols. Uh, that's just the easiest application. But where is our, our focus, our devotion, our loyalties, our allegiance? Um, is it geared towards control is it geared towards power again whether it's political or social cultural uh have we because we feel threatened as a church 
as, as you know, whether it's our, our religious beliefs or practices, whether it's our, this phrase that gets tossed around a lot, our way of life, right? And we look for someone else to be our champion and fight the battle for us and win it for us rather than calling on the Lord. Okay, so there are ways, I think, to spot this problem. Uh, and I, I do want to say, because I can tend to sound like, like this here, that all political involvement is like getting really close to idolatry. I don't believe that. I mean, I have days where I believe that. That's not like a biblical conviction. That's just more frustration, if I'm honest. Uh, so I'm not saying don't vote on Tuesday. You should vote. It's a great thing. We live in a country. You can vote. Let's do it. Um, but I do want to recognize this temptation to cross just from involvement to this idolatry by way of giving our trust and our allegiance to something other than God. Right? If we think on this principle, you become what you worship. Right? What you are devoted to is what you will look like. You will become like that. So I was thinking through this. So how do we know? Because it is tricky, I, I admit. Um, how do we know if we've crossed that line, right? Where we're no longer just Christians who are, you know, politically minded or involved, but we've actually crossed into, hey, we're not looking like God anymore. This is, a, this is like the red flag. We don't look like God anymore. It's probably because we're giving our devotion to something else, okay? So, and again, I'm speaking about the church generally. I don't know enough of uh, political opinions in this group. And, and, I, and I'm not like the passive-aggressive type to be like, oh, I heard so-and-so say this. I'm going to preach a sermon about it on Sunday. I'd, I'd just go to you. Right. Uh, but this is just... Did I lose this? Okay. This is just something I've noticed. If you find, if we find that our positions on moral issues, social issues, biblical issues are shifting with our preferred political party, right? This is a sign that we are becoming like something other than God. This is something I've seen time and time again. I've probably been guilty of it. I know those birds are awesome. Uh, right, we have seen this time and time again. For everything from desegregation to uh, redefining marriage, all these things, you watch Christians and their opinions, their, their political positions shift with their party, not with the word of God. Okay? When your capacity to love someone, to like show them love and empathy and concern and compassion is hindered by their political positions, right? When it is hindered by their political, and you can't do it because they vote for this person or they support this party, that is a sign, that is a red flag that you are becoming like something other than God. And you have to ask, where are we uh, pointing our worship and our focus and our devotion? Right? Because this is the thing. Cultural, social, political power or influence is constantly shifting. Right? It's constantly shifting. It's an interesting fact of living in a democracy or something, I guess, is that political power comes by staying with the shifts. Right? As the wind blows, you move with it. And it's no surprise if we see Christians do the same thing, if that's what they are devoted to. If they are devoted to that sort of influence and power, they're going to shift with the winds. They are becoming what they worship. They're resembling what they're devoted to. So this, this quest for, for the, 
acceptance or respect, respectability for social, cultural influence, power, it shifts. It shifts just like it does for the power brokers that we are devoted to. Okay, if we wanted to use the more uh, idolatry Old Testament image here of the ears and, and eyes and mouth, right? You remember, if you're worshiping idols that have eyes but they can't see, you're going to be just like that idol. And again, these are signs. These are red flags. When you turn, when you turn a blind eye to the wrongdoing on your own side, right? When you can no longer recognize sin and hypocrisy on your own side, on your team, not the other guys, your team, it could be that you have eyes, but you just don't see, right? Just like an idol. When you cannot hear the, the, the pleas, right? Not, not like please and thank you, but the, the cries of those in need, when you just can't hear what they're saying, what they're, what they're, the, 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 the hope for, for the, the cry for empathy, for help, for compassion, when you can't hear them, it's a sign that you have ears, but you just can't hear, right? Or when we can't speak out. How many times have I heard this phrase, and I'm sure you've heard it too, like speak truth to power. Have you heard this phrase? It's a good phrase. I like that phrase. It is a biblical phrase, not from the Bible, but it's in line with the Bible. But man, I have noticed so many times on both sides of the political aisle from Christians who say we need to speak truth to power. But when their preferred side is in power, they zip it. They don't say anything. Do you understand? We speak truth to power when it's the other guys. When it's my team, I, I'm, I'm quiet. We have mouths to speak, but we don't. You guys tracking with me? There's like this... Uh, desire in the church that I don't remember from when I was a little bit younger to be a prophetic voice in our culture, but a prophetic voice is always willing to get in trouble with their own people because we are not devoted to a political party, to a, to a political theory, a social group, cultural influence. That's not what we are devoted to. We are devoted to God. We are called to love him, to worship him exclusively. So, I, I'm worried that our political devotion for Christians has crossed the line, by and large, uh, into just simply, I have my opinions and I'll vote that way, but into a devotion uh, to, to a certain political thought that has rendered us useless in this society. And could it be that the church can't function? It can't be the eyes, ears, and mouth of society because we have committed idolatry. Because we have craved for something other than the exclusive worship of the one true God who has called us, who has redeemed us. I, I just, I worry that the church doesn't resemble or represent God in the public square because we look like a baptized version of American society and politics, and that's it. We haven't loved God exclusively. We have become what we worship. But if we think, what has God promised us? Right? What has he promised us? If we love God with all our heart, all our soul, mind, strength, we will get everything we desire and more.
right? Come up. If we want power, God promises us power, not in the sense that the world talks about it, but power through the Holy Spirit to be witnesses, to impact the world around us. He promises us hope for today and hope in the coming kingdom of God. He promises us salvation found in Jesus Christ alone. He promises us holiness to be made like him. God alone is worthy of our worship, our devotion, our trust. We are called to an exclusive love of God. And again, I want to say that I am, before we have Lori come up and pray, uh, this sermon, you know, it's less about um, directing at specific people. But I do think there's a place for all of us to to think and ask the Lord, Lord, am I not reflecting you in the world around me? And is that because I have not given you my exclusive devotion and worship and trust, my exclusive love? And so, Father, would you change us, Lord? Would you direct our gaze towards you so that we become more like you, Lord? We don't want to run from uh, the society. We don't want to to hide in our homes and not be involved with the world around us. But, Lord, we also recognize the temptation that it is really hard to love you and honor you exclusively in a world that's constantly pulling us away. Would you show us how to do that? Will you help us be more like you, Lord? Father God, we acknowledge today that there is only one God, you, God Most High. We acknowledge your sovereign control over all things. We acknowledge that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, your ways higher than our ways. We confess our fear, anxiety, or apathy around this coming election. We confess our misplaced trust in leaders and in policy to bring lasting change to our world. You, O God, are the only leader who is fully truthful, who can be fully depended on, fully trusted, and who is altogether worthy of our worship and praise. We ask for your wisdom and discernment as we head to the polls. We invite your counsel and your words. Let us not act according to party or candidate, but be people who listen to your voice and obey. Let us not see the results as a win or a loss, but may we remember your sovereignty and submit to your ways. Help us, O God, to be agents of peace and expressions of your love. You are the Prince of Peace and came to bring reconciliation to this world. Help us to listen to one another in humility, to value and honor one another despite our difference of opinion. Help us to remember that our brother is not our enemy and that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Help us to be peacemakers as ones who carry a peace that is not of this world. Help us to be bold in our declaration that shalom, the wholeness that God has already given us and offers to this world through Jesus is available now. 
And Father, may we be carriers of hope to a nation that is angry and fearful. We carry hope that your righteousness and justice will prevail, and that at the proper time, all things will be made new. Help us remember that this world is not our home. Christ has gone before us and intercedes for us. He prepares a place for us in eternity. And because of Jesus, our soul is anchored, firm, and secure. Amen.